This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. It was like a head-on car accident there. Had to piggyback him, grab onto his waist as he pulled him, kind of like a tractor pull there for a couple yards. You can play it safe. You don't have to take these risks and just nickel and dime your way down the field. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. For the last time this year, it is the Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. I'm Greg Mackling, and the Winnipeg Blue Bomber season is over at least one game too soon, I would say, Doug Brown. Done like dinner, my friend. Uh, they got that one playoff win, but that was it. Not enough. Western final, the way the Bombers lost. Cruel and, cruel and unusual, right? If you... like. It seems impossible not to be able to score a touchdown in the CFL. Well, it seems the least likely of things that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers would have done based on their work up to that point, based on their previous game against Saskatchewan and their defense and rushing for 201 yards. I keep hearing about how great this Rough Rider defense is, and so I was supremely impressed by what they did against Saskatchewan in the Western semifinal. And then, obviously, Calgary is another hostile road environment. Very difficult place to play. I think I only won in there twice in my entire career in the regular season. So very tough, and they're a very good team. Obviously, the best record in the CFL, but not to score a touch. This is the the offense with the most points throughout the entire CFL regular season. And, uh, yeah, to to make your living off of four field goals and, and a safety touch... That is just not going to win you a game against Calgary ever. And one of those field goals was 57 Seven yards. yards. Yeah, so, yeah. Exactly. So, uh, let's be honest about it. It was really three field goals, a miracle, and a safety touch. The defense, a lot of people were looking for the defense to to really hold this team and, and get them to the next level. I think they did their job oh on God, Sunday. Yeah. Would you agree with oh, that? without question. The defense was... Uh, they get full marks for what they did, I say, in the Western final. And, you know, if someone had talked to you before the game about, hey, if they were going to lose this game against Calgary, how do you think they would lose? I'd be like, oh, maybe they'll revert back to their old ways of, of missed assignments and busted coverage and explosion plays. Maybe Calgary catches them on a few of those. But they were full credit for their performance in that Western final. They were... Uh, I dare say, you know, one of the best performances I'd saw from the Winnipeg Blue Bomber defense in 2018. They showed up like gangbusters in the Western final. It was incredible, really. And they carried the football team, right? And uh, I don't know what happened to the offense to come off a game so impressive against Calgary. Like I said, a very good defense, or so impressive against Saskatchewan, a very good defense they played against there. I don't know what happens against Calgary's defense. If Micah I hear, Johnson? If I hear one more person tell me nobody was open, I swear to God, it is the CFL. Everybody is open all the time, okay? <laughs> Expand on that. It's huge. <laughs> yes. It's extremely wide, extremely long. <laughs> yes. There's six receiver sets, okay? They're as open as your quarterback is. You know, you think a guy's covered, you can still... Get him. You can throw guys open. You can put footballs into tight windows. Everybody is always open in the CFL. Okay. It's just a matter of whether your quarterback 
is going to take that shot and get that football to them or not. There were I a couple. Can't stand hearing, oh, everybody was covered. No, they're not covered. Okay. Nobody's ever covered in the Canadian Football League. There were at least a handful of times, and I'm going to say four times, when I noticed Matt Nichols was rolling to the short side of the field and really limiting his options in terms of being able to throw that ball downfield. Yeah, I mean, I've never liked him rolling out in the first place. And it just seems like, you know, he didn't take any shots and he was playing not to lose. He wasn't playing to win. He was playing not to lose. I think after that stretch where we had all those turnovers and he played so uncharacteristically, I think he got it in his head. Hey, I just go out there and as long as I don't make any mistakes, everybody's going to be happy. And that's my role in this offense. But I, uh, I just... Thought it was so vanilla. It was so conservative. I, I think you have to take, you know, you have to step up in a game of that magnitude. And uh, you don't have to make bad decisions, but you have to throw the ball downfield and you, you have to press to an extent. You don't have to force it. You don't have to throw it up for grabs, but you, you have to play to win and you have to be aggressive and you have to attack, you know? And it was just like, whoa. You know, there's a guy in the vicinity. I'm not going to make that throw. And I think, you know, playing a passive offensive style like that, when they had a much better run defense than we saw from Saskatchewan, I think you're going to end up with exactly what we saw. And you, that was 14 points. You had that overthrow to Darvin Adams that uh, should have been a touchdown strike. And then it was Chris Streveler that overthrew. Uh, Andrew Harris on that on that halfback fly that should have gone for another six points. So is it fair to look at th- those two plays and say, well, you know, really, if we complete those two plays, it's a, an entirely different game. I, I don't know how. Yeah, but I still you, look at the passing yardage. Game? I still look at the passing yardage for the game. You know, what was it like one fifty or one hundred and seventy five yards or something like that? Is what they like? That's never going to win you a game in the Canadian Football League unless. It was the kind of winter conditions like we saw against Saskatchewan. Unless you're playing on a slippery field where it's minus 10 or whatever and there's a wind chill and there's snow and you know everything is slowing down and it's cold and it's wind. Yeah, then maybe you can win throwing for 175 yards and, what about and no those, picks. What about, those, what about those yelling right now? Well, it was really windy, Doug. It was, was windy it? day. Okay, well, well, I don't know. It, didn't, it, it seemed pretty for the time of year positive temperatures, nothing on the field. Uh, there was no snow. There was no, everything was melted. Everything was fine. Field conditions were ideal. It was just, uh, I don't know. It almost looked like it was a carryover of the Saskatchewan game plan against a better run defense. And they didn't adapt to the conditions and they didn't get aggressive till it was kind of too late and the game was out of hand. Then you saw them pressing and throwing the ball downfield and making some plays. And that's where the majority of their passing yards were picked up in the first place, right? There were some stat lines through the half, through, you know, oh, three were quarters. It was, it was abysmal. Yeah. You were like, you know, and uh, it was just disappointing to see an offense to be so truncated, I guess. Okay. You know? Okay. So let's let's cut to the chase. Who's this on? Is this on Matt Nichols? Is it on Paul Apolise? Is it on Mike O'Shea? Who's it on? Oh, I think everybody gets gets a piece of this pie. You know, I, I think everybody. Uh, I think Paul Apolise could have done a better job. I think Matt Nichols could have played better 
And I think, you know, Michael Shea is the leader of those uh, two levels as well, should have, uh, you know, put his uh, fingerprints on this in terms of what kind of attacking style, you know, to beat Calgary, you just can't go in thinking, hey, if we just don't make any mistakes, we're going to That's win. what they did four weeks ago. You know, that's, I had, how they, that's how they beat them four weeks ago. Four weeks ago, they put up 501 yards of offense and 29 points against Calgary. Less than a month later, okay, they have, what, 200 and something and... And four field goals. It's just, I'm just like, was that the same team? <laughs> and I looked and I went back with Bob and I'm like, did Calgary play a, an entirely new defense? No, there were two players that didn't play in that game a month ago that played in this game in the Western final. And I'm like, wow, those those guys are those guys are really those are the MVPs apparently of the Calgary Stampede because you know, everything got cut in half and dropped by fifty percent. And that was a tough pill to so you were actually excited, you're like, wow. Calgary's vulnerable. Their offense isn't performing at a super high level. And they and didn't really. Yeah, they, they weren't do that great. Oh, because of the Blue Bomber defense, right. how well they played. And and you're like, oh, and the defense is susceptible. Look uh-huh. what they gave up. Not even a month ago. And then boom, all of a sudden, it's like it's a different team out there. So just people don't like it when you're supporting a team and things don't make sense to you. And you see something that you weren't expecting whatsoever. You're like, how did, where did this come from? And that's the final taste that's left in your mouth after a, a season where, you know, uh, they thought, you thought they got on a roll after what happened in Saskatchewan. So one win in, in, in five years for the Michael Shea regime. That's uh, one team, playoff win. Play One playoff win. Yeah. Yes, of course, we're talking about playoff wins. Sorry, Doug. And uh, since 2011, that's their first playoff win since the Eastern Championship at Old Winnipeg Stadium. So I mean this this is uh this is a little bit of a slump. It's somewhat broken, but is this good enough for this regime and how do you make the case for mo- moving forward with this regime? Well, I mean, just to uh expedite things, let's just say I don't think anything's going to happen anyway. So, you know, we can make a case and and make an argument for who should stay and what that merits and what that warrants and and who should go and whether there should be change or not. I really don't think anything's going to happen. I think there's another year. I mean, it is a step forward per se. It is the first time since 2001, two and three, they've had three winning seasons in a row. It's the first time since 2001, two and three uh, that they've had, well, actually, 2006, 7, and 8, they had three playoff uh, opportunities. They made the playoffs three times in a row in in those years as well. Um, And it is the first playoff win since 2011. So the optics of it are, okay, they're getting better. But when you you, you look at it as a whole, when you're like five years, one playoff win, you're kind of like, eh, you know? But... Three out of those five years were winning seasons. Three playoff opportunities, two bad years. So and that arrow that arrow is still pointed in the right direction, yeah. and no one has any expectation that anything... I'd be surprised if there were more than one or two coaching changes, and that would be because of probably opportunities for existing members of coaching staffs to take other positions elsewhere. Richie Hall's been under the gun for at least uh, the last two, season, two seasons, and... For most of this year, until the Blue Bomber defense started turning things around, do they hang their hat on Richie Hall one more one more year? If, well, if, if you're Mike O'Shea, I mean things got exponentially better this year. I think that has a large uh, 
amount to do with who else they added to the defensive coaching staff in terms of uh, secondary coaches and, and young taking over the entire front seven. And so I think Richie Hall's defense got better and, uh, but largely I think what happens will be which of those coaches they retain, but more importantly, there's a lot of those defensive players that are going to be up for well, a free lot agency. of their players. Period. Dot as many as 42 players, if uh, if my math is correct, and based on what I've heard, outside of uh, Jamarcus Hardrick and Stanley Bryant, uh, the names on that list are completely eligible to go elsewhere, including the most outstanding player nominee, Adam Big Hill. Is Adam Big Hill coming back to Winnipeg? I would think he'll be here or in BC. That is, uh, it's funny how you just hear things, right? And about how he has a place in British Columbia and pretend, I mean, these are rumors. This is gossip. This is not well, in his own in words, way. In his own words, he said he was going to do what's best for his family. Yeah. He reminded people that his wife is from Vancouver and yeah, that he owns a home in Vancouver. Where did, did you hear what I heard that she prefers BC. I mean, that's what I heard. I don't know if that that's, she prefers BC yeah, over Winnipeg. Yeah. Like she would rather be there kind of thing. Did you hear that too or no? I hadn't heard yeah, that. So I, I don't know. I can't even remember who I heard this from, but these are just things you hear in these circles that, you know, I, I used to live in BC. I, you know, as, 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 uh, an outrageous take as that may be to believe that someone would prefer to live in BC. It, it is possible that that has some. It seems merit, odd, but you know, well, let's go with that. I know. How dare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? So, yeah, it'll be, uh, you know, that's the nature. Uh, I tell you, general managers and scouts and, and uh, f- football teams in the CFL, you earn your money now every year. Because of these one-year contracts, there's no, oh, we got these guys under, oh, there's six or seven guys, or oh, there's 10 guys eligible for free agency. Uh Uh-uh. Those days are gone. You got to work to reinvent, rebuild, reshape your team every single season now with the nature of these contracts. So, I mean, with the CBA expiring, so on and so forth, who even knows? It's going to be interesting to see what happens this offseason. Okay, so the CFLPA and the CFL itself are going to have some serious conversations. The CFLPA All-Star team was announced just before you walked in here. Crazy. No Andrew Harris, no Adam Big Hill. Yeah. WTF. Well, I mean, at running back... The so the CFLPA All Star Team exclusively voted on by the players, and they're always a little bit. There's always a percentage that they're different from what you know us foolish media types uh, uh, vote in. But yeah, the two ones that jump off the page: Andrew Harris, Adam Big Hill. But you know, at running back, William Powell's there. Who you know until the final week of the season, him not playing. He could have been the right. So it's not like he's some bum off the street kind of thing. Some some practice roster player, and then at uh, middle linebacker Alex Singleton, who has been uh, defensive player of the year before in the CFL. He's a little bit of a freak, isn't he? He's what? He's a freak. Like he's, he's a very good player. He's a very yeah. good player. I yeah. like him a yeah. lot. And he's a freak in the sense that he's a Canadian middle linebacker right. and he's he's that good. You know, he's that's a ratio breaker for you right there. So there were three. Uh, Suk Chung, uh, long snapper Chad Rempel, I, I missed that one, and Taylor Loeffler at safety. 
Uh, so those are the three players from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers that made. But it's always interesting to look at because it's, you know, for a football player, the respect of your peers. And Suk Chung has been voted the dirtiest player yeah, in the yeah. CFL but by it just goes his to show. peers, right? Yeah, they may vote him dirty, but they also, they respect what he brings to the table and they don't want to play against him, right? So that's always, you know, sometimes the CFLPA all-star stuff, that means more. I'll tell you, sometimes I got that, I was like... You know, that's your validation right there that you had a good season is that the respect of your peers that you got voted in. And uh, it just goes to show you how many talented players there are out there. The fact that Andrew Harris and uh, uh, Adam, Big Hill. Adam Big Hill did not make this list. They you're, did not. you're already trying to forget about him it's so that just, we're not uh, talking about him next year. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's surprising, but it happens every year. I trust, trust me. Okay. So, um, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers said goodbye to you. You mentioned five years, five years as a Blue Bomber. Maurice Leggett, uh, was released yesterday. What's your take on that? Well, I'm just not surprised, right? I mean, he came back after that Achilles injury and he started the year, they were playing him out of position. They had some guys from BC that they wanted to play at Sam linebacker. We had him on this podcast and he admitted to us as much, hey, I'll do whatever the team wants me to do. But, you, you know, I was defensive player of the year for my football team the last two years in a row playing Sam, linebacker. And then the one opportunity he did get to do it, he got absolutely torched against Calgary. And uh, so just a difficult, you're like, was he was he angered by being out of position was he never fully, did he never get his groove back from his injury? Was he never fully recovered from that? I think there's more to this story. I think he'd be a real interesting guy to talk to at some point in this offseason and just get him candid in terms of what his opinion is and why the team is moving forward without him. Uh, everything we read and you know today and yesterday about his release, very manufactured, very polished, very, you know... Uh, very put together. Very polite. But, uh, I think there's more there. I think there's a lot more there when it comes to a player of that caliber who was Mr. Everything for this defense unceremoniously uh, being moved on from. You played with uh, middle linebacker Baron Simpson. Yeah. He was, his departure from Winnipeg was sort of under mysterious circumstances from the outside, at least at the time. And I think history has told us that uh, for as good a player as Baron Simpson was, over 100 tackles every year as a Blue Bomber, the, there was something unique a, about him. Uh, it was different from what he brought to the field, what he brought to the dressing room. Is that fair to say? Well, everything with Baron Simpson changed once they wanted to sit him and give Joe Lobendale a look. And then it was over. It was pretty much, you just, you know, from his reaction to that, and it turns out it wasn't justified. Joe Lobendale was an excellent middle linebacker in the CFL, but he wasn't ready yet at the time when they asked Barron to take a seat because we want to look at Joe. And Barron just, you know, he was right. It wasn't time for Joe, and he didn't deserve that, and his play didn't warrant that. But uh, the way he responded... After that moment, that was your your turning point, and uh, he was on his way. You you know he wasn't going to be around after that. Well, and that's unfortunate because he, he was such a, a talent. Uh, you always it, it's always unfortunate when those players either end up becoming a distraction or remove themselves from the situation because they are used to 
playing. They're used to starting. They're used to starring on whatever football team they're on. Well, players react differently to how they're handled, right? And uh, we all have bosses. And uh, who knows if you were, you know, if you were sat down off your morning show mm-hmm. for you know to audition somebody else, <laughs> who knows how you would feel? Oh, I, about- know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know how would no you secret. handle that? I, you think, know? I, so. I think we all know how I might handle. You know, I that. want to be traded. I'm <laughs> out here. <laughs> Play me or trade me. So, um, what is it about McMahon Stadium, by the way? Like, is it just that the Stampeders have just been so bloody good, or like I mentioned it on the pregame show, that construct of that stadium? You know, there there's no upper deck on either side. It's just this massive expanse of of, of seats and bleachers that go east and west, and you see the skyline, parking lot all around. It just feels like this gigantic open. Prairie, which is bizarre because you're in the foothills of the mountains. It, that stadium just feels bigger. The field seems bigger there. Which is all the reason for it to be more disappointing, the kind of passing numbers that were put up there. But no, <laughs> for me, I don't, Calgary's just always been, you know, for over a decade now, they're perennially a very good, strong football team. You've been retired then, for a decade. And then you put them in their home theater and environment and they get all the advantages incumbent advantages that they have from playing there and it just makes them that much more uh, a fierce competitor so i'm not surprised at all that they're that dominant at home and uh nobody's surprised that that winnipeg wasn't able you know that game could have gone either way obviously people thought winnipeg had a chance but calgary was favored for a reason the only thing we were surprised about in that loss was the way they lost who you taking the great cup Oh man, I think I just got to go with with Calgary just because you know to lose three games in a row in the Grey Cup that would make them the Buffalo Bills of the Canadian Football League. First of I'd all, I'd like that. I'd like. That I mean, a lot. Buffalo lost four in a row, but yeah. they'd be well on their way with three. I just have so little respect for Eastern Division teams. I'm <laughs> automatically just going to go with Calgary, and uh, I think they're overdue with everything that has gone wrong for them late in games to make them cough up two Grey Cup championships. I think they're actually going to pull it out this time. And uh, it's going to be great to watch, though, because Trevor Harris is playing out of his mind offensively. Calgary, defensively, is playing incredibly well right now. So something's got to give and uh, will make the Great Cup worth tuning into to see. To see what does. Well, one team in red, black, and white will win the game. I know that's <laughs> speaking far too obviously. Hey, I just want to ask you about Micah Johnson real quick before I let you run. Is is he as good as he appeared to be on Sunday? He I, he seemed dominant to me uh, for the Stampeders. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's a special player. He's not even really. Uh, I mean, he can play. I would say, I would dare say any position on the defensive line. He can play all four. He's that explosive. He's that quick. His first step's that good. He's that powerful. And uh, he's just a matchup guy. You just pick, hey, we want you to beat up on this guy or take advantage of this guy. And they can move him around and such too. Uh, you see, you know, scenarios like that with like Aaron Donald or, or J.J. Watt in the NFL. Um, he's just a chess piece and you're just like, okay, we want to win here and attack here. So let's put him here because you pretty much know that's what's going to happen when he lines up. So he's that good. Was the Blue Bomber offensive line outmatched on Sunday? Are they not as good as we think they are? <laughs> well, um, 
as we say, the, the CFL Players Association had a different idea of who the starting offense, like I say, there was only one offensive lineman from the Players Association on that CFLPA all-star team as opposed to three being voted in from the media. And the guy not most likely to be the CFL lineman of the year isn't on that isn't list, on either, yeah. Stanley Bryant. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. They should just make one all-star team and actually give the players some weighted votes and, and combine it all together, I think, because then again, it's fun to argue this back and forth, but I just think there's a couple scenarios in that game where with the kind of ground game we all thought Winnipeg had with Andrew Harris and it's second and one or second and two. And just couldn't uh, get it just, done. They just got blown up, yep. right, by, by Calgary in that front. So... Uh, it's not necessarily that Winnipeg offensive line is overrated. It's maybe the Calgary defensive line was underrated because man on man, those guys won big time in the Western final. This isn't on the list. Is there going to be a contro- controversy at quarterback next year? Next year, heading into training camp, Chris Trevler. Maybe and there Matt should Nichols. be. We'll leave it at that. Doug Brown, it's been a blast, my friend. We'll catch up with you throughout the winter. Uh, For the very last time, it is the Blue Bomber podcast with Doug Brown, at least for this year, at least for 2018. We'll catch up with you soon. You never know. The Blue Bomber podcast with Doug Brown. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com.